Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names and the industry includes the West End. Our guest today is Simon Bailey, who comes to us from London. He is one badass-looking dude, but don't judge a book by its cover. We actually get into this a little bit, because if you were to pass him on the street, I'd actually think it was like this cool biker kind of dude, but he's just like us. He's a theater nerd, and he's not afraid to admit it, though. I actually really, really like it. So, super cool guy. Always love to sing. He found his way into performing in a way that led him down a path that was very unusual. And, of course, we get into that. But before we do, find me on Instagram and Twitter. Leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening. I love to read the ratings. They are wonderful. And now we're going to take a quick break and then come back for this wonderful interview with Simon Bailey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's guest is coming to us from London, where his career on the West End is booming. Recent West End credits include Heathers, which we're going to get into. I love it. Jersey Boys, The X Factor musical, Romeo and Juliet, the musical, Joseph, We Will Rock You, Les Mis, Phantom, and about a half a page more. He can be seen now in the West End production of Moulin Rouge as the sinister Duke at the Piccadilly Theater. Simon Bailey, welcome to the theater podcast. Well, that's quite the introduction. Thank you very much. But there's a lot to live up to here. <laughs> well, the, I'm just reading what you've done. You've already lived it. I know. Do you know, it's, um, I was thinking this, this recent time that we've had, obviously, we've had time to reflect quite a lot, I think, um, on various things. You know, life has taken a bit of a strange twist for everybody. And I think partly one of the beautiful parts about the job that we do acting is you, you're always so focused on either what you're doing or what you're trying to do or what your, you know, what your dreams further down the line might be, but you often don't stop to think about what you've done. You know, you just kind of, it's just something that you shelve and you move on from. And, um, you know, I was, I had just a little moment to think about stuff and it's been, you know, I've been very lucky and, you know, obviously people work hard at things, but we're very lucky in in the shows that I've done because, you know, these are shows that growing up, you know, I listened to, I loved, I wanted to be in. I was just like, if I could just do one of those, that would just be kind of everything. So 
you know, to have done a couple of them um, is is amazing. So um, it's it's nice to hear that list that list read read back. It's it's good. Well, that was only part of it too. I mean, the resume the resume goes on, and it's it's interesting to me that, like, as an American uh, living in New York and being so immersed in the Broadway world that that I I this is complete uh, naivete from my side of of the pond here, and I think oh like. I know everybody in the business, or I've heard of them, or I've met them, or whatever the case is, because I live in New York. But there is a mm. whole ecosystem, I, I mean, in every city, like big or small or whatever, there's this giant ecosystem of, of actors. And the West End is, is no exception. And I think Sydney is probably very similar, too. And then you've got um, mm. uh, Seoul, South Korea. That's, it's got a huge theater industry out there. And of course, you know, when you get in languages, it sort of segments. But... I I love 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 uh, interviews like this where I get to meet somebody that um, I have never had the privilege of meeting before and talking to mm. who has I mean you're not you're not just new on the scene like we read the credits and <laughs> and part of it and you've been doing this stuff for for decades right and yeah. you've had interactions with so many of my friends like I saw some posts with you and Ramin and Ramin's a friend of mine Ramin Karam that's right uh, yeah. And, and I just, I love peeling back the world, especially here in, in the U S to, uh, expose what's going on, um, in a good way in the West end and, and the culture out there and the people and this new, this new, um, what am I looking for? A band of people to follow essentially. Yeah, of Um, course. Because for me, um, I, I quite enjoy picking apart the differences in culture and how the UK approaches theater versus America. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I've been talking for a while, so I'm about to shut up, I promise. No, no. Um, and that the, the theater actors in the US are, are kind of, uh, in a negative way, they're sort of idolized as celebrities and put mm. on pedestals because I'm looking at... Um, like social media numbers, right? Just plain social media numbers of following yeah. these people. And it's just, oh my God, a stage door. Uh, you've got Broadway actors that can't get a Starbucks, but I've heard people in the UK, my friends out in, in London are like, you know what? Like this is just, this is part of our culture. This is our way of life. These are mm-hmm. this is a job just like any other. So, I mean, for the difference from you being in it, and being an experienced West End actor, and of course yeah. interacting with Broadway, uh, how how is it from your perspective? You know, that's such a really good question, and and I'm going to try and do my utmost to to answer it. I think, <clears throat> as you'd mentioned, I mean, I I started doing this 20 years ago. You know, um, odd enough, at the Piccadilly Theatre, um, where obviously social media wasn't even um, it wasn't even a thing uh, uh, in any way, shape, or form. And the the basis of of the West End, uh, whatever that's supposed to mean or does mean or whatever, um, it was you had a, a group of working actors who are all you all knew who everybody was, and that's still very very true. Now, it's a very small. I like that word you used, ecosystem. We have our own pool, and most people sort of tend to know each other. Um, and that's the world that we know. With the introduction of social media, things obviously took, you kind of took this little fork in the road. <clears throat> um, and 
I, I don't know the, the, the tricks and the skills of social media. I mean, as, as, <laughs> as your listeners will, will not realize, we had an awful time trying to get on this call because I'm <laughs> terrible with technology. But um, th- there is, there's definitely a, a, di- a definite distinction now. Um, like you say, between the numbers that kind of pop up and, and, and the, the ones who are kind of broken off and go on to have these huge numbers and everyone knows who they are and things. But, but there's still this group who, who are still, you know, clocking away and doing their thing and, and you wouldn't know them from, from the next man on the street. So I do think there's definitely a big, a big change. Now, I haven't necessarily, I, I, well, I haven't done any theatrical work in the States. So I couldn't really tell you from my point of view what that what those distinctions are as a, from from Broadway to, to the West End. But I obviously have lots of friends of mine who have worked in the States, you know, and you do see that there is that they're very different approach to two actors for on both sides uh, of the of the Atlantic there. So it's it's a strange one really, I think. Well is does do the opportunities present themselves a lot? Uh, I mean, because you're talking about the ecosystems. Uh, there's mm. there's a lot of of shows that originate in on Broadway and then will open in the West End. Um, yeah, Moulin Rouge, case in point. Exactly. And, yeah. and then there's things uh, that do out of towns. Uh, you call it an out of town, or they'll start in the West End and then they'll come to Broadway, and mm. and they'll. <laughs> I haven't decided yet if I agree or disagree with this practice, but um, bringing, uh, completely recasting a show when it's moving, um, I, I, I don't know if I agree or dis- disagree with that because then you're leaving behind the people who created it, who put their heart and soul into making it, to sell tickets with known names in, the, in your local region which obviously you have to do. You have to be able to sell tickets to keep going. But yeah. like, where's that middle ground? God, again, that's that's such a good point. I mean, because like you say, it's the it's the heart and soul. Um, you know, the genesis of a production is is in that original cast. And <clears throat> I think you're right. It's <laughs> where do you find this distinction? How how can you possibly quantify it? Because like you said before, there are, I mean, so for example, I haven't necessarily been on uh, your radar, for example, but I've been here doing my thing. So if I was to come over and do, let's just say, for example, this version was, this version of Moulin Rouge was the first, you know, we could come over and, and you know, to every, I, I, it's tricky for producers, I think, because you want to have, it, it almost to make it feel like it's, homegrown whatever that means so you want to have people from from that region doing it as that but also you want to keep the beating heart of what it is um so i think it's i think it's tricky because how do you take a full cast over um or i mean in that in that respect how do you take it from broadway to west end to to sydney Uh, you know how that in itself is quite difficult because you're talking like years, <laughs> years of time um, to keep that one same cast. And I do understand what you're saying. And I'm not entirely sure what's right or wrong in that situation because I haven't really thought about it like that. You know, you just think this great show's coming over. What can I, what can I play in it? <laughs> well, some <laughs> That's say- what the actors are- 
Take, take Heathers, for example, right? Because that that's something that in the U.S., like people have been clamoring for a U.S. Broadway production of Heathers. So, so if that fell in your lap, right? Would because behind everything, though, there there you are a a person with a, a life in in London, right? So you've mm. got friends and family and whatever it is. So it's a personal yeah. choice to say, do I want to follow a show to the U.S. then to Sydney then to tour then you know yeah. whatever? Like that's something that that takes a lot a lot of. I guess commitment that to uproot your life and to keep going that I think a lot of people would not have. So, so maybe that's the middle point. You offer it to everybody, and then whoever refuses, you <laughs> you fill it in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's a good point as well. I mean, of course, because you know, um, you know, people with families that then it becomes you either uproot everybody's life or just yours, and then have a difficulty. And you know, I I think that's that's a difficult middle ground. So I think maybe yeah, yeah just just one and all, just. Just take and drop. I think that's basically been that's how it's kind of gone. I suppose, and I do understand it because you know how that the situation with the families can be is, is always going to be very very difficult and and not for everybody. I mean, that's, yeah. some people might like it, some might not. So you're right. It's just I guess offer it out and see see what happens. I suppose. <laughs> well, if we offered you Heather's, would you come over to the states for 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 that? Oh, without question, Heather's. I, I, I love you bringing Heather's up because this. I mean, Heather's. Was, really has a special place in my heart now because I was part of its original workshop yeah. um, in London, um, which we did for a couple of weeks. It was mind-blowingly crazy. Um, I love the team more than life itself. You know, you you know, Andy Fickman is honestly one of the best people on this planet and makes me laugh. Uh, I don't remember anyone making me laugh quite on the regularity as Andy Fickman. Um, and of course, and all the team and Larry and, and, and Kevin as well, but we came over and this was very clearly their baby, you know, um, the love for that show that those, that they all have is genuinely inspiring. So when we were, when we were originally cast in this original workshop, we knew we were part of something kind of special and it wasn't until I realized how special when we were gearing up, we were just supposed to do the one the one performance you know just uh here's heather's guys and it'll come whenever it comes but we went out just for um just for a little tea break just before we were going to be doing the show we've been rehearsing and i was walking around um uh, walking around to go and get some some coffee from outside there was a queue i'm not even joking i mean going time and a half back around the theater and bear in mind this this theater studio only holds about a hundred people or something. I'm just going, you guys need the palladium for this. Cause this is, <laughs> this is quite something of people dressed as the characters. <clears throat> there was so much cosplay then. I mean, and it wasn't, I knew the film. I wasn't, I wasn't that, um, that familiar with the musical. So I was like, how does everyone like know about this? And of course, when I realized, I thought, well, obviously, cause it's, it's barking mad and beautiful. Um, but there was such a desire for it. And that's why it holds a massive place because I was supposed to go and do the the first production as well. But at that time, I'd just been offered Jersey Boys. So I went off to go and do, <clears throat> to play Tommy. Um, and then this is where that love, in a roundabout way, it's all coming back nicely because the first production in London back after the pandemic, well, 
you know, as far as uh, whatever after the pandemic means. But uh, the first show back was was Heather's um, at mm-hmm. um, at the Haymarket, which, and they very kindly asked if I if I wanted to resume my my duties, and of course I did. And um, the love for that show is is remarkable. Yeah, yeah, I I love I I've never seen a production of it. I've only listened to the music over and mm. over and over again because. I, I want to start traveling now that the pandemic is uh, at least a little bit manageable. Um, yeah, definitely want to travel and and get out to London to see it. But um, and I do promise we're going to get into Moulin Rouge. But I want to go back mm. to yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, National Youth Theater of Great Britain because mm. uh, is that that is as an American okay. I'm going to show my naivete again. What is the age group that goes into this? Is it a high school or a university, a college? Uh, I, I'm, if I remember correctly, I think the age groups, I think it's between 16 and 20. I think that's what it is. Basically, this all stemmed from, from school, right. school, school for me, not drama school. We, I took theater studies as uh, an A-level, and part of that was um, a practical exam so you had to perform a monologue and you had to perform a duologue um my duologue was from a streetcar named desire um the kind of very intense very intense scene which i'm not looking back i'm not entirely sure how appropriate that was when i was 17 years old but we'll (laughs) gloss past that anyway but i was doing that and um i ended up getting um the highest mark that the school was ever gotten in that in that field for that one performance and my teacher at the time she was like because i was not planning on um striving for a career in performance at that point and she just said to me she went look i i really think you should you should consider this because there's obviously something there which which needs to be kind of explored anyway she gave me this form for the national youth theater and basically the national youth theater was just a three-week course in London with um, external directors coming in and out and a group of a group of actors all basically just exploring so we would we would make scenarios out of everyday life if that makes sense it was mm-hmm. really a, tra- a basic a, a training ground for training if that makes sense so we would work unexperienced yeah yeah so unexperienced actors would work with professional directors and choreographers and so to speak um before you took that step into into drama school um and i I thoroughly enjoyed my time there um and it was very it was very brief obviously um but it was this is how how strange life works because um a buddy of mine that i met at the national youth theater we got on really really well he wanted to he was from liverpool well he was from liverpool he wanted to move to london he was like look let's halve the rent and move to London together because I live just outside London. Um, and this, this sounds like a, a kind of a, a condensed story, but it isn't. It's literally how it played out. We moved into a flat in London. He had a friend come to stay with us um, for a couple of weeks. This guy heard me singing in the shower. He was <laughs> like, Look, I, I think, I think you've got a really good, like this is, just, oh, this is all absolutely true. This is how strange my life has been. He said, I think you should speak to my old agent. So I spoke to him. He signed me. And then within a week, I had my first job. 
whilst I was in that job, I was rehearsing, uh, I was auditioning for Romeo and Juliet, the musical. And that's when I got, so I got um, my first West End job at 20, simply through a buddy listening to me singing, me singing in the shower. And that was it. I bypassed drama school and just did on the job learning. Well, that explains the rumor I heard that every audition you give, you have to be standing in a shower behind a curtain with the water running. Yeah. yeah. I, that I start, and this is where all, I was the genesis of that rumor. You see? I, was the, <laughs> I was the starting point. You know, it's like, some, it's some grimy shower curtain, which has many stories to tell. You know, that's basically me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to also drop, like, this is no small feat because National Youth Theatre of Great Britain, a few names that they've pumped out, of course, Simon Bailey, you, um, Helen yeah. Mirren, Daniel Craig, Orlando Bloom, Ben <clears throat> Kingsley, Matt Smith, one of my favorite doctors, by the way. Yeah, so, phenomenal. God, Doctor Who. So, listen, <laughs> you are in good company, my friend. And the fact good that, company. yeah, the fact that that um, it pushed you into where you are now, it's that's phenomenal. I love, I love. Uh, I've got another podcast called Was It Chance? Uh, it's with a co-host, and we we talk with people who um, basically embrace, yeah, just embrace chance, and mm. and. Uh, use that and man manifest their own positive outcome, right? Mm -hmm. And so you're sitting here in the shower, like, first of all, okay, I'm going to back up a second, because physically, if I were to meet you on the street, right, you've got mm -hmm. like, you've got this buzz cut here, I'm going to describe you for the listeners. So you've got, you're yeah. wearing all black, chains, big rings with like, kind of the skull and crossbones, I, with a right bandana, there. skull around your wrist, <laughs> like a giant uh, silver skull around your wrist. So yeah. I would say like you're a badass kind of biker dude. That is my um, my initial physical impression of you, which of course, yeah. first impressions don't judge a book by its cover, but everybody does. So I'm not going to be like, <laughs> holy shit, this guy's a West End actor. This guy is yeah. in touch with his feelings? Huh? <laughs> right? <laughs> Say again? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, where where does this need? I guess when you were doing the monologue, which then got you noticed, which got you into the youth theater, which got you into the shower, which got you the agent, which got you the job. Where where did all of this come from? Because uh, you're, I mean, so Simon pre theater. It, I guess, okay, I'll stop because I'm asking a lot of questions in one place and it's early for me. So I'm not formulating these very well. But where, who, who are you on the outside versus who are you on the inside? And uh, I guess what made you want to embrace this chance of all of these opportunities just laying themselves out for you? I think, um, when, I, when I grew up, <coughs> my, my, my parents were big. They liked taking me to shows. That was it. So from... So from a very early age, I, I was always really into musical theatre. You know, um, it was just something that was always playing in the house. And it was always something that, you know, not always, because, you know, that's, but we, as a treat, my mum and dad would take myself and my sister to go and watch Western musicals. So it's always been, I suppose, and this was from early on. I mean, I, so I suppose it's always been kind of part of my, my DNA. You know, it's not something that I kind of, when I got to 17 years old, I thought, oh, I should listen to empty chairs, empty tables on a whim. You know what I mean? It was, it was something that <laughs> oh, I know oddly I specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know just to give some context. Yeah, yeah, that was it. But, but, but there is, there's a reason I suppose why that's, why that song popped into my head. But, but you know, it was always something that I was, 
I was into. And, um, you know, as I discovered singing, uh, I discovered singing at school because I was, I was part of the school choirs and all that stuff. And then, and then that took me into doing the musicals, the school musicals, you know, because, um, it was, I think my school was kind of, you had to be dragged kicking and screaming to do something in front of other people because it's, I mean, like, it's a very British thing, isn't it? We don't, we don't sort of do that. We, we like to kind of hang back a little bit. <clears throat> so I think, you know, for, for, for kids to be in a musical in school is actually very, it's kind of daunting. Um, and, but I, I was sort of wasn't given that much, <laughs> that much choice because I, when I was in the choir, they, they, they thought I could sing quite well. So they were just like, this is going to, you're going to be doing this, you know? So that was part of that. You know, so to go from uh, that into wanting to do it into, you know, I suppose the, the, the sort of the the outlook, my, my own personal outlook is I'm basically like a frustrated rock star. You know, when I started to get, <laughs> you know, and then I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. You know, I think from like 13 or 14, I started to really discover rock music as well. So that was kind of. You know, and I, you know, I wanted to sing like Freddie, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be in Metallica, and I wanted to, you know, play guitars like that and sing like that, and you know, so I've, I've just sort of decided to meld the two together <laughs> and just dress like it, or you know, like a frustrated rock star or failed pirate, um, and just kind of <laughs> try to baffle everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know? fail, fail as a pirate like i can't wear this eye patch i i'm sorry yeah. I, I give One, back my pirate credentials yeah i either wear two eye patches or nothing that's basic that was my thing you know <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of it really and i suppose you know the, the external kind of stay um you know but you know i suppose being we were rocky was was fun to pretend to be a rock star and professionally um and it does help having Brian May sometimes playing the guitar. You're like, okay, this is kind of, this is a bit of a, a rock star dream fulfilled. Well, when I think rock but, um, star, I definitely think Les Mis and Phantom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. you know, yeah, it's the shredding of the guitars. And they love that in I Dream the Dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> empty chairs, empty tables. <laughs> the green, the cabbie smoking. Lovely. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so actually, Moulin Rouge then is a good. Is a, is a, I think especially the Duke I think is great to merge all yeah. this together because the Duke is the bad boy the Duke is kind of like the badass rock star of all of this yeah absolutely and I think it's it was funny <clears throat> um, because a very a, a very good friend of mine who who I'm sure you know you're, you you will know Ricky Rojas obviously mm -hmm. playing Santiago um, uh, in uh, the Broadway production so. When it was announced that it was coming over to, to London, Ricky literally sent me a text saying, dude, this part, it's got to be yours when it comes over. I was like, well, let's just, let's just wait and see. And then <laughs> it turned out that it, was, it, that it all happened that way. And, you know, I, I love this. I love the character because, you know, the, the show itself is such an explosion of joy <clears throat> and a spectacle of a theatrical spectacle that unlike anything I've ever seen before. And it just has all of these great qualities. And I do like the fact that there is this one kind of fly in the ointment, you know, character, which is, which is the Duke. And, um, you know, he kind of goes on this a bit of a strange journey because on the surface of it, you know, he's this cool guy. He turns up, you know, you know, it's uh, attention's all on his name. He's wealthy. He's this, but then he has this, 
this switch, this this button switch, um, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> you're not right in the head. Um, and I really like playing characters like that. I really like to find, I like darker characters. Um, you know, I mean, playing, uh, you know, other things as well as fun, but, but dark characters, you can really, that's what I think that was so much fun for actors because literally nothing is off limits because you can, when you're building a character <coughs> and you're developing that character, you can just go into this, these reams of, well, what's the worst that this guy could do? You know, and then you start to track back. And I think that's quite a fun thing um the fun thing to play with actually because that's where you really start to you know you suspend disbelief and and you know you kind of think well with all the things that are informed of of what he's come from which are all in the script you think well well what's the worst that he would do the worst that he would do and that's kind of fun that's why you have amazing people like alex timbers going so I'm not saying that's a bit too far and you need some help. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, someone just let Simon lay down for a minute because he's going to some very strange places. But but I do think that's, <laughs> that, that's a fun part, you know. I think that's quite a fun thing to do is um is to kind of just see how far you can take something and then work backwards. I think that's the best way. We're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When a, a show like this is, it's so well established. It's obviously not going anywhere in Broadway. And going back to our earlier conversation, the cast is still here. Um, so, you know, yeah. no need to relocate the cast to London. But uh, when Alex comes over, Alex Timbers, when he comes over and, and you're in the rehearsal room for the first time, is he like, does he say, okay, this is all your character. Do not try to recreate what is there. Or is there a certain amount of like fitting a mold that you have to hit? Is there a balance between recreating what the public already knows versus creating, uh, making your own character? Great question. Again, he, <clears throat> I love Alex because Alex is, Alex is like the, the actor's director, but he, he totally understands actors processes and he i think he he realizes that everyone is going to have their point of creation <clears throat> so to, in a roundabout way answer your question alex was great in the respect that he was like just put this on its feet like i i don't care about blocking for now i don't, like just let's just play with it see what you guys come up with and then we'll start to have a look so he really wanted it to come from us um which was really exciting because Moulin Rouge was so new on Broadway, a whole bunch, many of us hadn't seen it. Um, the film we'd seen, so we kind of knew roughly what the style was going to be. We knew what the approach was going to be, that it was going to be this, um, this bright, fizzing production. But we hadn't seen the stage show. 
so uh, which always i think really helps when you're kind of when you when you go in blind it there's nothing clouding your judgment on how a character should be played or shouldn't be played so um the majority of us just played and we just kind of kept drilling everything and working everything and alex was wonderful in just letting us do that and then of course once we were kind of establishing we uh, we were kind of on the way to really establishing our characters then you know the 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 um how do i say this uh, the the finessing of course all came from from alex and the information is that well you know this is great but just remember this and he was really great in letting us just just go for it and then um just finessing us as we were kind of getting into the latter stages um which made us feel like we were creating our own show which was lovely because you know we're we're obviously fully aware that there has as we were talking about at the beginning there is an original cast who put this together from page to stage which of course we are very respectful of um at the same time we feel that we were allowed to, we were allowed to just kind of play with um play with some not boundaries but you know just play play with that whole thing and see what we could come up with ourselves which i'm sure is is probably you know similar but there's a nice bit of individual difference and therefore ensemble difference i suppose what what was the timing behind it because uh we're we're recording now early 2022 mm. um broadway shut down march 12th 2020 reopened essentially in the fall of 2021 when were you when did you find out about the or i guess when did you get the offer start rehearsals and then open because i know west end opened before broadway so when did when did i yeah talk me through the timeline then because i i was surprised when you said that that it was so new and most people hadn't seen it yet. I thought that mm-hmm. there was more time between Broadway opening and beginning of West End rehearsals. Well, the time, the timeline for me, I, I think I came in relatively late in the process um, of the casting process anyway. Um, <clears throat> but I, I certainly found out about it in June, June um, 2021. In fact, in fact, I found out, <laughs> it was bizarre, I found out the Friday uh, I was due to start Heather's rehearsals on the Monday and I found out about Moulin Rouge on the Friday. So I was in this kind of giddy, <laughs> I was like this, this giddy kid for the whole time. Obviously, I'm sworn to secrecy, but like it was that kind of enigmatic smile on my face. I was like the Mona Lisa for about three months because I was like, why do you look so happy? I was like, I can't tell you. You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> We're like a pipe, you know. But the... um. But I so I don't know when 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 Moulin Rouge opened. When did Moulin Rouge open on on Broadway? Let's see. Let me Google because this. I know they because they they opened and closed because of the pandemic right quite quickly. I think didn't they? It was it was brutal. I remember thinking Jul- that June twenty eighth, twenty nineteen was previews. Okay, so officially yeah. opening on July twenty fifth, twenty nineteen. Because yeah, because yeah, it hadn't been open that long before. You know they hadn't sort of got into their into their main stride, I suppose, before they were shut down for so long, which was just awful. I mean, the whole situation was just, you know, you, I remember just just remember listening to these news reports saying this show's gone down. Now this show's gone down. You think, you know, because of course we didn't know the enormity of the situation, mm-hmm. um, you know, until probably 
you know, a month into it when we were like, when it just looked like everything was just in real trouble, um, you know, and just kind of watching helplessly as all these, as, as an industry looked like it was being decimated before our very eyes. Well, it, you know, it, which it is, was essentially it was. Yeah. I mean, it, it was. was and, and also, again, like feeling completely powerless to, to do anything about it. Um, you know, still very much, very much now. I mean, we, we did a collection at, um, at the Piccadilly Theatre recently for, for theatre trusts and, and theatre charities because whilst it's wonderful and I feel extremely grateful, as does everybody, that we're playing to full houses, we're also very, very aware of the fact that theatre is still very much on its knees. It's in a very precarious position right now. <clears throat> and the West End is one thing. But you're talking about regional theatres and theatres which will never open their doors again now, um, you know, which is heartbreaking, uh, you know, because they they've just been hit so hard by you know everything that's happened over the past couple of years. So I think to be an actor now is very different than it was pre 2020. I really do think that. I think everyone thinks about it in a very different way. I think the respect for other actors, I think, is is huge. Um, I think the respect for what you do is huge for the people who put it on and trust and producers to put their money into it is huge. <clears throat> it's been a real um, eye opener for so many reasons. Um, and of course, we could we could talk about the, the negativity. But I also think, you know, seeing the positives in this as as I kind of unfailingly like to do, you know, you do realize that there is this this kind of hard you know, <laughs> uh, this hard way about creatives or people in the entertainment industry in this never give in atmosphere uh, attitude. And, um, and I love that, you know, and I think it seems even more so now that we've come out of something we are still rebuilding. Of course we are, but to cut to all intent to have come out of this and still fighting and still wanting to put on, in fact, not still, wanting to put on the best shows you could possibly imagine so that the people who are paying their money for two and a half hours, they don't have to think about their own problems for a bit. And I really love that. You know, I remember um, with any, with any situation, if, people, if, if bad situations happen in the world, you know, situations that you didn't think would happen do happen, you know, which we've faced a few of them over the past few years as well. I've always been of that mind of... Um, what we do is we're there to take your trouble away for the duration of our show. Um, and if that's a sad show, then cry, have that catharsis. If it's a, if it's an eye popping spectacular, come out and fizz, like have the joy, you know, that's, that's the whole point of what we do. Um, and whilst it helps us in our catharsis, cause we get to travel and be other beings, which is what we like to do in this kind of, oddly nomadic life essentially what we do is we take people out of themselves for a bit um and i really like the fact that we can do that it's practicing empathy because you can't as as a human being you can't make your brain uh go through trauma without actually going through trauma or happiness exactly. etc <clears throat> etc but 
watching us uh, hearing a story watching a show watching a movie that is that is as close as you can get without actually doing it and it practices mm. it, you get to practice feeling you get to practice yeah. experiencing without actually going through it and that's why as far back as time ha- written history has been recording there's people who are dancing with drums and telling stories and we are yeah. evolutionarily <clears throat> herd animals that are drawn to stories we get chemical releases i think it's i forget what it is it's either serotonin or oxytocin i forget which of the two but mm. we get our brain is releasing chemicals when we're hearing stories because we mm. have to remember and we and we just love we love to hear this stuff and love to watch yeah. it absolutely it's, it's we ingrained do. in a, in being human it's the very being of like you say i mean this is i mean theater just talking about theater solely has been running for like you say since the beginning of goodness knows when people want to be entertained and and that's it and and it's um i have this wonderful i mean what i love i love so many things about this show but the first 10 minutes of my show is basically walking across the stage um delivering my first bit then sitting in a box and i get to sit there for about 10 minutes while i watch an insane ensemble uh, a company of people dancing like their lives depend on it <clears throat> and i get to watch that and a that's great and they're all i mean just in, this company is, is incredible but the best part for me is because i've seen those guys <laughs> you know is i get to watch the audience um and i get to watch their reaction and it's it's honestly one of, it's one of the best moments of best parts of my show because that opening 10 12 minutes of moulin rouge is <laughs> I mean, if, if you haven't seen it, it's very difficult to describe it because it's just this beautiful assault of theatricality. I mean, it's it's just something which I've never seen before. And you see people's jaws genuinely at the appropriate limit. You know, <laughs> like they can't, their jaws can't drop any further. You know, and you see like people touching the person next to them and looking across in this wide-eyed disbelief, you know, and then you, <clears throat> you hear this tiny, well, I, I always love w- when this happens in audiences, <clears throat> when you have this, um, this kind of moment of quietness before the roar of appreciation, because you, you feel it in that, did we, did I just see that? Is that what, that can't be. And then you have this bit of quiet and this eruption of noise and, that's really what we get from this show. And it's so great to be able to look out and see everybody and just completely entranced in this thing and reminding myself that not so long ago, we were all stuck at home and not able to do anything and not see each other or hug each other or certainly go and sit in a theater. You know, this was something that we thought, is this ever going to happen again? You know, as time wore on, like we were just saying, the the, 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 the industry was was beaten to within an inch of his life. Mm-hmm. And there were honestly times I think everybody must have thought, is that gone? Is that is that now going to be a memory? Because I don't really see that much way, you know, a, a great way back. But the fact that it did make it so, it, its way back and that we are in that place again where we can do that to people um, blows my mind. And it, it's... Um, and being able to, to to watch it play out every single night for me is 
uh, is every reward you could wish to have. That's got to feel good from from a personal standpoint to be able to see, literally see the joy and the the love that you're creating in real time. Yeah. And that's what makes it, that's got to be what makes it different every night. You you know, it's not the same show over and over again because every show is different mm. because the audience is different every single night. Yeah. And in that moment, you cannot recreate it the next night. It's always going to be a little bit different. Absolutely. Because this is one of the, the, the questions most asked by my non-theatrical friends is how do you do the same thing you know for that longer period of time i'm like it's it really isn't the same thing yes the material is the same but it's never the same like you say the audience plays such a big part in in what we do um you know knowingly or unknowingly they they influence a production uh, swings understudies and, standbys oh, alternates exactly yeah. and you know this is I, i'm I was going to come on to that a bit later on, but I'm glad you've mentioned swings, understudies, um, the work rate of the swings and understudies right now. Um, you know, I started as an understudy myself, so I've had prior knowledge in knowing what it takes to have any one of any character just ready, bang, drop of a hat. Someone's gone off at the interval. Okay, I'll pick up. Or, you know, but this is taking it to a whole new level. Um, because of, you know, in and outs of people who, you know, have got the virus, haven't got the virus or, you know, this, that and the other is, it's literally, yeah, it's, you're just picking out, you know, all of a sudden it's bang, you have to go on or someone gets injured in a warm up, bang, you don't have to go on. Oh, but I'm going on for him. And then you go on for it. It's, you know, to watch it play out, um, is incredible. I mean, we had, you know, a situation over Christmas where we got hit by, hit by, uh, Corona. Um, one hit, and we were we were down for for ten days, obviously, while everyone recovered because there was too many of us that mm-hmm. that got it in one go to be able to carry on. And then um, we opened up, and the whole cast was basically different. And then we got hit again, so the other half of the cast got it, and we had to shut down again. But in that time, our company manager very very kindly, because I was one of the ones who caught it. So I was at home um, and they, they sent us a live link of the show so we could watch it and, and support from afar and, and cheer everyone on. And I swear, I mean, you would never know that these people had never done it before. It was the first time, I think, well, because we, we were still in tech and in preview. So none of us, none of the actors had gone off. I'd gone off sick or called in. So everybody was doing it. For the first time, wow! But the cast, well, the cast was fifty percent different. You know, the the performance cast was completely was fifty percent different, and you wouldn't ever have you would never have noticed. You know, hats off to everybody doing that right now because it's a one of any number of people at any point that you have to just go. Okay, you got two minutes. Get dressed. Go. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it's phenomenal. I mean, it's just it's incredible to see that. Well, that, that's uh, it. Goes back to what you said a second ago: is that this the industry is kind of beaten within an inch of its life and mm. hanging on by a thread. And what's keeping that thread connected are the swings and the understudies. And Absolutely. Because we, I mean, right now, look at what just happened a few days ago here on Broadway. 
where Patty Lapone is now out of company with COVID mm. and Jen Samard for the first time is going in uh, as Patty's understudy. And yeah. the internet is going insane. And mm. so then, but that has a trickle effect because now someone's covering Jen's original role and then someone has to cover that. And so it, it all of these people, A, I mean, the benefits of this are incredible. You wouldn't be cast as a swing in, as an or an understudy if you were not just as good. That's, yeah. that's yeah. just the... That's the that's the 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 whole crux of the whole thing. Like people are like, oh, it's not it's an understudy. Oh, they're not going to be good. No, that's not true. Oh, Everybody man. amazing, like yourself included, you just said probably started as an understudy or a swing. Yeah, and it's way. I mean, I I honestly think it was where uh, I learned. Uh, I learned. I was about to say everything then, but that sounds ridiculous because you don't learn everything. But you know, I learned so much from from the people that I understudied and really just watching these amazing people, um, you know, being in an ensemble every evening and watching, you know, watching lead actors or having to cover what they do or, <clears throat> you know, just the, the nature of what that brings uh, is such an important ground. I think such an important ground for actors to go through because you realize what it is to, to really work and, and wait and take your opportunities and, and work really hard because you have to learn so many different characters. And I remember there was one week on, <clears throat> this was the most mind blowing I've ever had. It was a week on, we will rock you, uh, where I think it was in where it must've been a Christmas, uh, Christmas schedule. And I think we had something like 10 shows in the week or it might even been more than that. I think oh, it might've been 12. It, it was, uh, it was brutal. But I remember, I think it, it was something like I started the week on the Monday as my, as my Gaga track, my, my ensemble track. And then it went something like Galileo, Galileo, Brittany, Brittany, Galileo, Brittany, Galileo, Brittany. And I, every single day I was playing one of, if not both those characters for those shows. And then I think I finished, <laughs> they gave me an easy one. The last one I went back to, I, I was back in, in my original track. Um, but it was every single show was different, and then there was one I was thrown on at half in the interval, um, and then we had to switch. I think there was one day where I had to switch from being Brittany to Galileo or something like that in the interval because that it was just like you know it was one of those things you think if you wrote the book on that there would be it would be something that you would never believe, but you do you you just do it, and it's um, that's just part of us, and I think it's a really great it's such a good learning ground. You know, and I think everyone at some point should understudy your role because it teaches you different things. Well, what what it, it just occurred to me? I've been doing over two hundred something of these episodes now, and it just occurred to me why one of the big benefits, why there's a big benefit in being a swinger and understudy, uh, is every role you've you've you get, every cast you're with, uh, teaches you more about yourself, teaches you more about the craft, makes you a better performer, and. Mm -hmm. Think about the fact that when you're a swing, it, you know, you're covering, uh, I talked to somebody in Hadestown the other day that covers eight tracks. So that's mm -hmm. eight different chances for that person to, Im to improve and to learn and to work, have different interaction on stage with different actors. And every yeah. single time you're getting better that much faster. It's like an exponential growth versus just going into one role at a time in a show. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting way of looking at it because I, I hadn't thought about it that way either is, you know, it's, it's like you say, it's, it's interactivity, it's learning. You are learning on the job <clears throat> and you have to learn fast. And if you get to do that in 
in eight different ways, you're learning eight times faster, I suppose, or mm-hmm. you know, worse that effect. But that is that 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 the the, the learning potential in you know in terms of future work is uh is invaluable i think you know yeah. when you get that because you have to learn things extremely quickly as well uh, and get proficient at them extremely quickly and um that's really what it, it that's a big learning part of the major learning thing for me is you know when i started to transition into playing playing roles was to get everything up and running as quickly as you can so that the rehearsal process isn't about learning your lines. The rehearsal process is about building your character and, and finding all the dimensions that you can find. It's not about, Oh, I haven't learned act two scene one yet. Mm, that's okay. We won't learn that until the third week. It's about, we'll get that up, get that bit done, get the learning side done. So you, then you can just start to hone, hone that character and make it the best that it can be before you open the show yourself. So the the speed at which you have to learn things definitely helps, I think, uh, in the in the long run. Wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. Because academically, you say you have to develop good study habits, right? You always say develop good study mm. habits, learn how to study. And in theater, you're right; it's just what you said. You have to learn to learn. You have to learn mm. how to learn quickly, and you have to learn, yeah. especially as a dancer too. Like, all right, five, six, seven, eight. Here's the combination. I'm not going to yeah. show you again. Go out and do it. And yeah, that, that takes somebody who is trained to learn to be able to learn that. Absolutely. Well, you you have to exactly train your brain to learn the fastest way it can possibly it can possibly learn. And, and that is something that is that takes a while to learn. But to learn that fast, to learn to have the pace, and, and also to work out what your <clears throat> what your learning methods are. You know, some people like to shut shut themselves away in a room for a week and say, "Don't disturb me." Some people like to just whack it onto a tape and say, "Look, I'm going to give it an hour today and leave it to sink." And, and there is no right or wrong. There's just whatever works for you. Um, and the more you have to do that, the more actually you kind of forcibly go, "Oh, okay, that's my way. That's what I'll do forevermore." Um, and I think you know, again, that's where you know, learning by being an understudy really helps you because you get to um, you get to kind of work out what that way is for you um and learn that quickly i suppose uh, yeah. so when you next come to when you come to playing a role or your next um, your next understudying you know exactly the the points that you need to hit and i know i need to go and sit here for two minutes i'm fine <laughs> i need to go and sit there for, for for two hours and just bang 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 read read it four times and then you'll be comfortable in your in your learning so you've been very gracious with your time. I want to wrap up here with three questions I ask everybody to end mm. the episode. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you? What motivates me? Um, what motivates me, I suppose, is, is getting better. Um, is, is always, is actually what we were just talking about, is learning. Um, you know, learning to, to approach things differently, learning to, um, to just get better at the craft and always, and always kind of think ahead, I suppose, is, just to do good work. Um, and I, I'm, mo- I'm motivated by other people doing the work that they do. Um, you know, I think it'd be quite easy to let things, it can, it's very easy to let things slide over a period of time, but actually um, having that kind of rallying charge within you to, to always wanting to be better makes you uh, generate some other, some kind of form of energy towards the work. I love it. All right. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? 
don't listen to other people. <laughs> you know, I think, um, I think if you're, if you're, it's very easy to have outside influences, I think. Um, and one thing as I've gotten older is always trust your gut. Um, and if you want to do something, as long as you're not hurting other people, then just go and do it and, and find a way to get it done. Um, you know, I think that's just something that comes more so with age. Um, but just not listen to outside influence and just trust yourself. Oh, that's, I like that. If, as long as you're not hurting other people, find a way to get it done. I like yeah. that. All right. Last question. Super hard. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many <gasps> times as you want, what would you see? Oh, man. I, I, this is very difficult. <laughs> I, okay. Okay. Fill time. Fill time. Fill time with noise. This is really hard <laughs> because I, I have so, I have so many that mean a lot. I think for, for so many reasons, I think I would say, oh, this is such a hard question, Alan. Wow. This is, um, I'm jumping to my head is Jersey boys. And I, I don't really know why, I, but it's just, I think I had such a personal connection with that show. Um, but then again, I want to say Les Mis because Les Mis was kind of what really got, like everybody, what really got me into. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Les Mis. Actually, I'm gonna change my. I'm gonna say Les Mis because it was it was formative for me, um, and there was so there's so many connections to it, old and new, um, that I think Les Mis is just that timeless. It's timeless and it's eternal, isn't it? And it brings back great childhood memories for me also brings back great professional memories for me um and there's still some unfinished business in the show which <laughs> i would like to achieve in the future so um let's go with that for, for those reasons oh i love that all right where can we find you on social media uh i am at, i'm on instagram and i'm on twitter at simon bailey one two one zero all right you can get more of me at the theater I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Music is from Jukebox the Ghost and conversation is from Simon Bailey. Thank you, sir. This has been so much fun. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me on. I love to talk to you. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.